Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to Fourth Down Focus, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I am Dan Lundy, host of the podcast and founder of Fourth Down University. Football season might be over, but basketball is in full steam, both pro and college. From all the latest odds, totals, and props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bets Online is the number one spot for all of your favorite sports. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE to get started. Bet Online offers more than football and basketball. It's also a source for hockey, boxing, and the UFC. Bet Online is your number one wagering destination, providing the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and Vegas casino games. Bet Online, where the game starts. Episode 68 of the podcast welcomes Coach Aaron Perez, founder of Punt Factory and the director of punting with Chris Saylor Kicking. Aaron, it is an honor to have you on our show. How are you doing today? I'm well, Dan. I uh, really appreciate you having me on, man, and I'm, I'm pumped to talk to you. Yeah, I've known of you for a long time. You know, I, I'm an avid college football fan. I played a few years before you. Um, I don't know exactly how old you are. We'll get there. But, yeah, I'm probably, I'd, I'd say roughly five years in front of you in age, which means we didn't really have a chance to ever get to play with one another. But you were right after me. Um, so, uh, of course, I followed UCLA because one of the one of the most iconic games that the Hurricanes and the Bruins played was in 1998 with Edron James. It was like a triple overtime. It was really the catalyst that brought the Hurricanes back. And it was right before I was going to join the Hurricanes, which was 2000. And that's when we won a couple of those national championships. But every coach I was around during that time gave a lot of credit to the UCLA Bruins because we had to beat you guys. And you guys with that time were, were more of the standard than we were. We were back up and coming. So um, I followed UCLA um, because of that and uh, always did. I, I, I thought it was a wonderful place to play. I got to play there once. It's the most beautiful stadium I've ever been in. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit, too, if you don't mind, because it really was like I played at dusk. I'll never forget. It was like a 6 p.m., 6.30 kickoff, whatever. It was later and the sun hadn't quite settled and those foothills and those beautiful homes and the the flyover like bro i'm getting chills right because when you we do, when we got there initially you know to that rose bowl um it, it looks low from the outside right it looks like four stories whatever all right I, the orange bowl is like 80 90 feet you know anyway we'll, we'll get there but i i was fascinated when i walked in from the locker and i looked up and i'm like okay this is this is gorgeous, you know, and then obviously California. We'll talk about that, too. I, I'm fascinated. So here we go. I've, I've kind of painted the picture and we landed. I want to start early in your playing career. We'll talk about coaching at the end, but we'll start and tell your story from the beginning. In high school, let's start there. You were heavily recruited punter. You were also a heavily recruited goalkeeper. Um, and you're out of Covina, California, which is a suburb, uh, to my knowledge, because my, my my buddy, my roommate was from Thousand Oaks. So kind of the mm -hmm. same thing. It's not in L.A., what people think of L.A., but it's it's in the county. Um, so you're pretty close to what people know. Can you share a little bit more about this high school experience and why you decided to choose um, football over soccer? Sure. Um, by the way, that was a perfect representation of the Rose Bowl at a 5 p.m. kickoff. Um yeah, man. So uh, Charter Oak High School in Covina um, in, in my area is a pretty um, prestigious small public school. So we've got five elementaries that funnel into one junior high that funnel into Charter Oak. <clears throat> so we're closest to like uh, Bishop Amat is a big private school around there, Damien. Um, but really, we're just outside of that range of, you know, the um, the Trinity League, the Servites, you know, we're an hour away from Servite and Modern Day and Bosco. So we we never play them. Um, we had a head coach who's now passed on, but Lou Farrar, who was head coach for, I believe, since like 1985. I mean, he's been the head coach forever. His son is now our head coach. And long story short, um, it's one of those unique places where all the coaches kind of went to that school. Um, at the time that I played, they were all teachers at the middle school. So it was almost like this really unique 
you got to middle school and they were sussing out the the kids, right? Like, oh, where do you, you know, Cedar Grove or Badillo? And um, here I was this, you know, six foot one, six foot two goalkeeper that could move and could catch. And um, uh, the, the guy, Coach Dom Farrar, who was Big Lou's son, was like, hey, man, three years from now, you want to play some football? And I said, nah, you know, I'm, I'm a soccer guy. And my mom, who's a, a, been a teacher in the district at one of the elementaries forever, would see him at you know, functions and uh, teacher conferences and stuff. And he'd ask her, Hey, can Aaron play? And she's like, no way, you know, he's playing soccer. So um, going into freshman year, a week before the first game, one of my buddies calls and says, Hey, I was, I was telling the freshman coaches about you. We need a kicker. And I'm like, dude, the first game is like in six days. Like I'm not, I'm not going. And um, we went back and forth and he convinced me to at least come out and give it a try. So Saturday before the first game, Thursday, um, I went out, and I tried out and they, they said, you're in. And um, I played three games for the freshman team. And then ironically, Chris Rubio, who's our big long snapping uh, guy, you know, who was a, a teacher at the middle school. He comes down on a Monday after that third game on a cart and says, who's Aaron Perez? And they all pointed at me and he said, hey, varsity wants to see you. OK, so I, I got on the back of the cart and drove up and. Uh, won my spot and the rest is history. Um, played four years there. Junior year, um, uh, I'll take a step back. Sophomore year, um, our special teams coach, uh, Joey Strykula. Turns out Coach Stryker was Chris Saylor's holder at UCLA. So he was a roommate and a holder. So he calls me and he goes, hey, I got a guy, a friend of mine, that's starting to do kicking lessons. And I remember I was with my dad and he says, what the, what the heck is a kicking lesson? <laughs> you know? And um, he goes, Hey, it's, it's a hundred bucks. He'll come out Saturday. And my dad, okay, you know, we'll do one. And so myself and the kicker went out, we worked with Chris and he pulls me over to the side after and he says, Hey, I, I, I believe you have what it takes to be a punter at a high level. And I'm like, man, I don't even, I'm okay. I don't know what that means. And my dad was, Oh, it's a scam, dude. He just wants our money, you know? And I'm like, well, he says, and, I'll tell you what, you know, eight months later, nine months later, we did Vegas one. So that would have been 2003 in January. Um, and within a month, I had a full scholarship offer to Duke. So February of my junior year of high school, I had my first Duke called me on a, on a landline <laughs> and offered me a scholarship. And between then and June of that year, June of my junior year, I had, I think, the 23 offers, full scholarship. I mean, every Colorado, everywhere. And it was finally at that point, my dad's like, Hey, we should, we should pursue this. Um, and, uh, May, uh, May of that year, Vegas two, um, UCLA saw me punt Brian Schneider, who's a, a pretty legendary special teams coordinator at that time, the coaches could come to the camps. So this was like the blind side for kickers at this time. Right. Cause there were guys in their polos out there. And I was punting on field two and we hosted it at UNLV back when it was, again, everything was fair game. Right. So we're at UNLV and Schneider just standing there watching me. And I remember cause um, uh, coach Ungerer, who's now at NAU, he was working me out and there was 10, 11 guys there just watching me punt. And after that, um, you know, Schneider tells my parents, Hey, we'd love to have Aaron come down to campus um, in the next couple of weeks. And, we went down, I met with coach Durrell and, and he, he offered me a scholarship and I pretty much committed on the spot. So, you know, it kind of just naturally happened. Um, you know, the system is so different now that it doesn't happen like that anymore, but um, I chose UCLA obviously just cause my house to the Rose bowl was 30 minutes to campus was 55. You know, it was obviously a great education, um, but it was more just, I wanted my parents to watch me play. I'm, you know, I'm a homebody. And at that time, 18 years old, man, it's with no Twitter and YouTube to like go do a virtual tour of Duke. You know, it was hard to think about leaving home if you didn't have to, because their only way you're connected is a phone call. Um, you know, we had the Nextel chirp phones and the sidekicks, but you couldn't FaceTime mom and dad, you know, you couldn't, it wasn't as easy to get around. So, um, you know, UCLA just felt good. And uh, I had a I had a great experience there, man. It was awesome. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that. I, I love it. I mean, it's very few people I think get to experience 23, 25, whatever, an insane amount of offers. And this is this is money. This is not a PWO, you know, preferred walk-on. This is not a walk-on. This isn't 
this isn't that this you were offered a full scholarship to these places and i think what i want to get at is the kids that aren't quite your level they still have a chance right and uh, i think that you probably were a little faster to develop than than others right And, and and sometimes you just have to realize that there's aaron perez and then there's me and if i want to be where aaron perez is guaranteed to be um i've got a little more work to do right and sometimes i think that these kids don't value the thought of like the preparation side of it the process that we're going to get into in a second with ucla i don't want kids to leave this show thinking that you lived off talent because i think the only way to make it in life is to have a process and to constantly find ways of improving it so with that being said aaron like um UCLA, you know, you had an excellent career at UCLA. You served as a four-year starter. Um, can you share a little bit more about this college punting experience in general, um, specifically then at UCLA? And um, what was your process to becoming eventually your senior year, the first team all Pac-10 punter? Yeah, um, and I, I would make a really good argument that, and I, and I tell kids this now, talent for me – and, and learning, um, you know, yourself and, and myself and, and guys that are of our, of our age are really one of the pioneers, you know, besides Chris and, and some of these other guys of private coaching, group coaching, but it started in 2004, right? Um, if I, I tell kids all the time, if I came out now, I wouldn't be number one. You know, there was only 10 guys ranked, right? Myself, Obi. Taylor Melhoff, who's a buddy of mine, who's at, uh, at Wisconsin now. And, um, you know, I, I was a big three-step punter at that time. It was purely just like, Hey, this kid's six foot four, he's 200 pounds, he's athletic and he can, I can get a hold of some. And I would argue that it, a lot of it was, Hey, we're, we're going to go off potential because we need a punter. We're seeing this kid in person and his a ball is huge. Um, but I hit a lot of C balls, man. I hit a lot of not good punts. And so, you know, I, I think I was lucky at the time. And I always say it was kind of my plan was probably always to coach down the line without seeing it. Um, but developing, you know, at UCLA was it was <clears throat> I didn't have, you know, Chris was very preoccupied building his business. Right. Um, I went at a time we had a guy called Chris Cluey ahead of me who played a long time in the NFL. But Chris was a an old underhand drop you know, type punter. Um, we had a, uh, I went to school with two Grossa winners, Justin Medlock and Kai Forbath. Um, Justin was a, a really good friend of mine. Um, but again, not a punter. So a lot of it was just trial and error at the time of trying to understand <clears throat> what works. And I look back and it was, it's crazy how, I mean, in reality, you would go through a week and something would work. My grip works this way. And then the next Monday, it doesn't work. And you're like, Oh man, what's, what's wrong. I'll move this. And um, you know, I always, again, I always tell the boys, like, I wish I had myself to to call every day to FaceTime every day and, and virtual it because there was just so much time spent worrying and stressing about something not working. Um, And I'd look back and I look back and I'm like, well, I, I was stressing about that in like February, you know, three weeks into an off season program where my legs were sore and I shouldn't be punting anyways. And um, it, I, I was lucky uh, with, with again, coaches being patient with me and, and coach Durrell believing in me. But at the time, like I was not good for a lot of that. Uh, I mean, I, I was a head case with trying to figure out what worked. And um, it's, it's just so interesting to me because when I look back, a lot of the mistakes I was making are just, they're so simple now to see like, Hey, refine everything, go into a two-step punt at 50%, just turn little balls over for a week or two, get into a rhythm. Um, and I, <laughs> I just find it so funny now that the answer seems so simple, but really what I was doing as a, as a player was preparing myself indirectly for being a coach down the line of like, there are simple ways to, to, to fix things. I, I think it really clicked going into um, my junior year. We, I mean, we punted 91 times. We led the NCAA in punting. Um, I had, I got a lot of work and I got a lot of in-game work um, where I, I learned a lot. And then going into that, that senior year, um, I worked real hard. I switched to a two-step. Um, I had four special teams coordinators in five years. 
So a lot of it was like bouncing around with what we wanted and what they wanted. And senior year, Frank Gans Jr. came in. Um, for those that don't know, his, his father, Frank Gans Sr., was kind of a pioneer in the special teams game, considered one of the first ever pure special teams coaches in the NFL level. At the NFL level, and, and Jr., um, he was like 19 seasons in the NFL. So he had just come off of being with the Ravens. With um, He was actually who brought in and signed Sam Cooke. Um, you know, with Ed Reed, and he was a very big directional spiral. So I, I got lucky having someone like that come in at a time where I was kind of peaking. My mind was a lot better at things, um, but he cha he challenged me. So we played uh, we played Tennessee our first game on ESPN um, national television. Punted well, we beat him. Um, I was holding for Kai. Um, I learned a lot from Kai because. Kai was the opposite from me. I wanted to like work and lift and be structured. Kai was like, we're good. I'll make the kick. Um, we had Rick Neuheisel come in senior year, who was very, like, very good with us, you know, just in terms of like, I'm going to talk to you unless you mess up. So um, all Pac-10, I mean, it was, I was a senior. I, I was fourth in the country in average, but, but that year alone, Morstead, McAfee, Huber, Britton Colquitt and Tim Maste all were in that year with myself. Wow. So no matter how good I was, like I said, it was in the cards to um, eventually take all that and kind of move into coaching because I don't care how many punting spots you have when you're going against greats like that. I mean, it was fun to compete with them, but by gosh, yeah. <laughs> you were stacked, man. So um, a lot of learning, a lot of developing, a lot of trial and error, um, but again, I think you and I went during a time where there wasn't a lot of, you can't just call Dan Lundy or Aaron Perez or Chris. I mean, there are just, it's a lot of stuff going on all the time um, with in your own world that I wish, you know, you could have had a coach to bounce off of, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't at the time. I just want to thank you for, this is a new relationship. We we've known of each other for a long time, but thankfully technology was going to allow us to get on a zoom or two and we hit it off and, what I want to take away from what you just said was um, I think what successful people do, and you were successful in, in several endeavors as a player and a coach. I think that people assume that like this, this life or this career should be linear. Like there's a start and I, and if I begin with the end in mind, then I, I should just go right to the top. Right. But what's unfortunate is like we have bumps, right. And it might be off field issues that cause these bumps internally in the mind. Cause you spoke with the mind a few times, just, just a second ago. Um, we have to realize that sometimes it may, maybe we should slow down the rate of change. Cause it's not time to go forward. Maybe it's time to, to not stop, but may, maybe take a left and just mm -hmm. remind ourselves of what all the work we put in and all these things that we believe to be true about ourselves, right. This technical stuff, don't if, if we throw it away and start from scratch and we keep recycling that behavior, all we're doing is starting over and there's still a be, you know, there's still an end in mind, but it's like you went backwards because you doubted yourself. And mm -hmm. I, th I think people that believe in their process because they know that their process is true to them. Those people are hard to beat. And I think you're one of those people. And I, that's why I wanted to bring you on today and, and, and share that because that's an important message to hear. You're going to almost feel as if you're going backwards. But if you realize that that's, that's it, that's okay. Maybe I am a little bit the realization is the start of it, but then like we have control of these things, right? We just got to be around the right people. And I think that thankfully you're, you're a presence. I think there are a lot of people like us now and kicking and yes, 20 years ago, there might've been a couple, but again, technology you know we how could we find them unless they were on like espn oh there is a kicking coach let me go look him up in the yellow pages you know it's, it's different now and, and and i'm thankful for that too so i want to move on to next stage is nfl camps you you were in several um you retired from the game eventually in 2010 and then after that um i saw that you were a trainer you know, a personal trainer, <laughs> yeah. you know, I I'd love to, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. And you did that for, I guess you went to like 15 plus countries. So it looks like you traveled a lot and I love traveling because traveling is where I learn most um, about who I'm not and who I am. Right. Uh, during this time, you played four years of professional soccer. So you kind of went back to soccer after you left it alone in high school for a bit. Um, I want to talk about more important. There was soccer. You were a goalkeeper. 
And um, I want to ask, like, what soccer's impact was uh, as a young guy at, in your punting? Because I think it's it doesn't have to be there. I think I have good pitchers. Uh, that's a big misconception. You know, I think it's a very good background to have a, a soccer background. But it's not the only way to go about it. I love athletes. I like tennis players. Um, we could go on. Uh, golfers have a great mind. Um, but can you share how goalkeeping helped you um, in this facet? And ultimately, how did it help you become a better punting coach? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I lived um, at UCLA with all soccer guys. So um, my best friend, <clears throat> one of my best friends from college, uh, this kid called Ed, played on the soccer team. <clears throat> we lived together for four years in college. So I was living and kind of hanging out with a lot of the soccer guys. I think the few times I ever got in trouble and had to do punishment runs was because I got caught playing soccer on the, on the IM field with outsiders. And you can't do that, man. You're going to hurt yourself. So um, when I was done, uh, I signed with the Patriots for like a month. I had a tryout, um, did well, got signed, was never going to make the team. Um, that was still during the very infamous Belichick only takes lefties. Um, you know, he had Chris Hansen was there at the time um, who was a legend. And then they brought in Zoltan Mesko the next year. They brought in Ryan Allen after that. Um, so it was there for like a month, did uh, camps with the Dolphins, the Bills, uh, signed in the UFL for a little bit with the Mountain Lions. Um, and I always told myself, I'm going to be done when one of two things happens. Number one, um, <clears throat> I don't want to wake up anymore at 5 a.m. and squat, run. I don't want to do that anymore. And once that leaves, then, um, then there's, it's, it's pointless, right? Because the motivation, the fire is gone. Or, and this is going to sound terrible, but when I'm 22, you know, full of testosterone. I was like, if I show up to a free agent camp or something, and there's a kid from a school I've never heard of, and he whoops me, then what am I doing? Right. Because <laughs> if I, if I can't beat this, so that was my mindset when I was 22. Um, and fortunately it was the first one. I just, I got cut from the mountain lines, um, spent the night in San Sacramento before driving home. And on that drive home, I just thought about <clears throat> that week. And I'm like, man, should I go back? And I just, I just, I just, at that moment, I knew I was done. I was living in Santa Monica. We had no money me and Ed were living together. And so <clears throat> I thought to myself, like, how, how can I provide? Right. So I got a job at a gym at a front desk, um, just meeting people. It's right in Santa Monica. There was a bunch of really famous, wealthy people. One of my buddies is the guy that wrote up in the air and Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the longest yard and straight out of Compton. And so I was training there. Um, and I started playing soccer again. Ed, that guy I was with, invited me out to a pickup game, and I met a guy there who met a guy there, and I kind of got known in this area as being the, the big, tall goalkeeper that could punt the ball across the whole field. So when you're playing in men's 35 and over pub leagues, um, <laughs> after halftime, the dudes are all tired, and they just want to go you know, drink beer, and they, they're thinking about after the game. So I'd get the ball, and they would literally just all go crowd in the other box, and I'd punt it across the whole field, and I was just trying to score but I fell back in love with it. Right. And so I'm, I'm 23 years old. I'm a, I'm a trainer. And, um, I joined a team, um, out in California and a men's like an amateur team. So a fairly decent level. And the other keeper on the team and I become close and we start kind of meeting at the park every couple of days and shooting on each other and watching YouTube videos and trying drills. And, um, I was playing in a men's league and then I was playing in another amateur league. And then I was, you know, getting invited to go play in the little, downtown Los Angeles leagues, you know, where all the, you know, they have taco trucks out there and, and it's, it, it's actually quite competitive and um, you know, guys are slipping you 80 bucks after a game. Like, okay, cool. And so I'm kind of gotten this world and I fell back in love with it. And long story short, some, some people that I met um, ended up putting in my name for a local pro team called the LA blues at the time. And uh, they needed a backup goalkeeper for, for a month. And someone put my name in and I remember getting a call Friday night, um, from a guy called Alan, who's the captain of the team. He's now, he coaches the English national team. He's a coach for Aberdeen. Um, but he, he's like a real big Scottish accent. He's like, I'm going to send you a contract in the morning and you're going to play for us. And I was like, Oh, for wow. So the next morning I get a contract that night that we played the galaxy in the stub hub center. We played the reserve team. And I just remember thinking like, dude, yesterday I'm playing on, you know, <laughs> the high school field. And here we are at the stub hub center. And, um, I got to play a couple games that year, played in the Open Cup, um, didn't get re-signed, moved to San Diego, got signed middle of that year, 
And two games into being re-signed to number one, he quit. And so kind of by default, they're like, hey, you got to play. We, you know, we can't find like a lone goalkeeper in this short of a time. And I ended up playing 11 games that year, did well, got re-signed the following year, um, didn't work out, left the team, went to Ireland to try to play and uh, came back and eventually got a tryout with Minnesota United in 2016. Beat out a couple guys and I played my last year with Minnesota United, um, which is where I met my wife and obviously it was a big kind of turning point in my life. So my 20s was basically just spent studying goalkeeper, which at the same time I was building the Punt Factory brand. I was taking a lot of that to your question of, you know, goalkeepers kind of a isolated mindset, right? It's a little different than punting and kicking because you get typically more than one opportunity at a time, right? Sure, but sure. You also have to be engaged when you're not working, right? You have to be communicating. You have to be uh, directing. So from that, I took a lot of two, two, two big things. Number one, conditioning the mind to stay turned on, to know how to kind of turn it off. So if you're a punter and you're not in the game, how do you stay engaged, but not so hyper-focused that you become tense, that you become stressed, right? But number two, um, <laughs> you know, we had a lot of Brazilian cats on Minnesota United. We had a lot of these Latin American guys that were like, ah, no problem, no problem. But then you watch them play. And uh, we had a guy called Ibsen who had played for Porto and whatever. And, oh, big, big boy, no problem, no problem, you know? So I also learned a lot about relaxing and kind of adding into my game, like, hey, it's no problem. Work hard. Some you win, some you lose. And just kind of learning how to, instill that into a 14, 15, 16 year old kid that's punting is like, you're going to have some bad days. It's okay. You're going to have some good days. Never too high, never too low. Just, you know? Um, and I think being a goalkeeper, number one, it, 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 it was a great experience for me. I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I like to consider myself very stoic, right? Very uh, Marcus Aurelius. Like you got to live every day, obviously, like if you die tomorrow, did you do what you want to do? But the other part of it was just, like I said, learning how to train the mind of never too high, never too low. Enjoy it, right? Because you're playing a game and you're, you're, you're out there with your mates. And um, I think now with the, the kicking industry and punting industry and kids, the pressures they feel with putting stuff out, et cetera, um, I think you can learn a lot from, you know, I'm going to kick Sunday and I'm going to get film and this and I don't have a good day. What do I do? Do I put it up if you want? Don't put it up. It's okay. Take your best kick, put it out. You don't, it's all right, man. You can kick again Tuesday. So I think that, as you know, we, we had talked about, you're a soccer guy. It's just such a different locker room and a different vibe, yeah. right? Than football. So learned a lot, man. Traveling obviously helps um, just being, seeing people with less than you and um, they're happy. Um, but, but I would say, like I said, um, that definitely helped kind of learn how I coach. I try to coach the mind of the guys that I work with. Excellent point. So I want to draw a parallel with us. And I just thought of this as you were talking. I in soccer, for those that don't know soccer, because this is a football show, but you know, Aaron was the beginning of the attack. Okay. It starts with him. And I played center midfield. So I was in the middle of the field. So he's on the perimeter. You know, I'm in the middle. And then our goal is to get to the other perimeter. And oftentimes, and in my case, it was definitely true because I was a very, very vocal center midfielder. You know, I was echoing what you were seeing better because you see the whole field. The field's all around me, right? You're seeing it from a third-person perspective, and you're kind of expecting me to voice it back out to everybody else because I'm in the middle of all the chaos. You're seeing it from right outside the chaos, right? So that's the best way I can explain it to someone that doesn't play soccer. But what's neat is you and I played those roles. If there's 11 players on a team at, at one time, the two that have to be very vocal, in my opinion, are often the guy in the middle, center midfield, um, and you, the goalie, um, because it then is spread very quickly and easily. And then who interjects is the coach. So there's usually three, three voices, but two on it. You and I were those voices. I think that was awesome because you and I both now coach football. And I think that we took a lot from that experience because not only do we have to communicate, we also have to distribute and my distribution was just as important as yours. I oftentimes complimented your distribution, right? I touched the ball to then give it to who was very impactful, who's going to score. So again, drawing parallels is it's probably why we, we connect well 
And we probably teach in similar fashion because sometimes actually every time it should look different because we should be training to your personal situation. You're a personal problem to us, these athletes, right? And if it's a cookie cutter, if it's the same each time, the kids smell that very quickly, that this isn't for me, this is for everyone he sees. And I think kids appreciate you for that reason. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. And that's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe that's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And uh, that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while online. And with all the threats that you face day to day on the internet, it's more important now than ever to be sure you have the best VPN you can. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start just under $4. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe, or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 75% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month free. It is also free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. As mentioned, you are the director of punting for Chris Saylor Kicking. Evaluation camps for specialists is big business in the United States. And Saylor is, as mentioned earlier, one of the pioneers earlier this millennium, I think 2004, in the industry. Can you share what your camps offer um, and provide some clarity, please, to the misconceptions about your camps? Yeah, I, I think this is, and this is something that I asked you to kind of talk about. And I, um, I enjoy discussion about this kind of stuff because I think it's so hard to have a discussion about it because you have coaches that have a view on it for whatever reason, right? Um, and you have kids that have a view on it for whatever reason. I think it'd be simple to say the people that don't like it are the ones that they don't do well or they don't like the organization of it. And that those are all fair points. And it's easy if you go to a camp and you beat everybody and you're number one or number two. And of course I love it. It's awesome. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I want to talk about it just a little bit because I can only talk about obviously our side of things. And now that I'm on the camp side of things, as of um, 20, 2020, um, we started the punter only camps it's, it's definitely a lot different than I kind of perceived it before. Right. So my whole life up until 2019, I would just travel with sailor. So he'd call me and say, Hey, you're going to come from, from six, 17 to 19. I went to basically every camp with him. So we'd fly separately. We'd fly in, we'd spend the night in a hotel, do the camp that day and fly home. Right. Um, help with the evaluations, et cetera. And then I think once the punt factory kind of started growing and it kind of grew in a, uh, uh, an image and a place in the kicking industry, you know, on the punting side, I think he kind of saw the value in that and said, Hey, you know, you know, you're, you're old enough. Now you've ran camps with me enough times. Do you feel comfortable, um, you know, doing this on your own? Um, and that's going to come with organizing your own travel and all this stuff. So it's kind of seeing the backside of what goes into camps. 
I think I always saw myself as much more of a training facility, right? Um, I always saw myself and I, I still see myself. I'm a coach first. Um, and I, I make it very clear. I don't, I, I'm not a business background guy. Um, I don't love business. I, I don't love, I've always thought if I do well by the kids, money comes, right? I don't, I, you can't, I just never, I was not built that way, um, which is probably good and bad in some ways, but um, you know, I, I really like how we do things um, at that our big camps, right? I do. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, right? And something I just wanted to make sure everyone understands is not every camp is the same. So Vegas, I'll just take Vegas. It's our big national event. It was the first real big national event in the industry, right? We started in 2003. I mean, I've been to every one, my sub, sub two or three when I was playing soccer, but I competed in one Vegas, one, two, three, started coaching at four as a senior in high school, as a student staff. The first day, all we do is coach. We don't chart. We don't evaluate. You know, even at our biggest camp, we have staff there um, that's coaching. Because for us and for me, I I couldn't do it if it was just a, hey, I'm just going to evaluate you based off eight punts. And if you do well, you'll go to the next eight punts against better guys. I, I think there are some kids that like that. I think there are some kids that would like to just show up and hit field goals or hit kickoffs. And if I'm better, right? But the industry's become so crazy, right? Because you're now just lumped into, oh, well, if you do a ranking camp, you're just a money maker. Well, first of all, let's be honest, everyone's making money, right? Everyone has to make money. No one's doing this essentially for free. And if they are, they probably had money somewhere else. But number two, I think that there's a place for everything. And I think the biggest thing that I, I wish there was more ability to talk about is what place everything has. I know you're real big on coaching, right? And, and I know that you, um, you and I both agree on that. 90% of the time, the kids are going to be with their private coach, right? They're going to be with a person that they, their family trusts. Um, and I think if you would have asked me at 25, like, do I like when my guys go other places? No. Now I think it's, it's, it's the, the, the industry is national. It's virtual. It's movable you know, kids are willing to travel to a weekend just to see myself or just to see you or just to see this coach. Um, my dad, if I had asked him in 2004, Hey, can we go to Texas? I want to work with this coach. He's, no, <laughs> this is your next five Christmas <laughs> presents, dude. Um, but you know, I, I, I just, I want to make sure everyone knows at least on our end. Cause like, I, I again, I, it's hard to have it out without sounding like I'm trying to prove a point. Um, but on a platform as big as this, it's, it's, I think that the, the, the big camps have a place because it is a way to gauge yourself against other people in your class, right? Really what it comes down to every year is you are competing against the other players in your class. And as a punter, you're not even competing just with them. You're competing against kids from other countries. You're competing against transfers. The portal now has messed things up because in theory, if you're a 2022, you're competing with a kid that transferred after being a three-year starter at Colorado and a 25-year-old international player. So in reality, how else would you rather better put yourself in there? Or what is there a better way to do other than going to a place where everyone's going to be there at one time, right? And it's hard because, again, you don't want to just take a single day and say, this is my measuring stick. But there, it's like the SAT. It's like that. There is no better way, in my opinion, to in a more unbiased way, unless you were going to have all those kids in one place training for a month and film it every day and put it out there. So I kind of, I take it personally sometimes when I see people bash these, these, these camps, because I think that they're not all the same. And I think that a good one, you get coaching right from, you know, at the last camp we had, we had Will Reichard there. We had Derek Ng there. We had Cole and Obi and guys that have been coaching for years, but also students that are currently, I mean, two weeks before Will Reichard's kicking in the national championship game, Ryan Sandboard's punting for Stanford. And now they're helping you coach. I think that that's valuable. I do think that it's, it's good. And I also think in a way, when everyone gets the same opportunity to impress, I do think that it is a very simple way of kind of setting a standard and saying, look, yeah, you might not have your best day, but this kid did have a good day. So I do think that has to be said for something. 
but um, man, I, you know, I wish there was a way that you could take what you and I do um, and somehow put a, a standard on that. But again, it's like, you know, I, I just hate when I see people who don't maybe understand who have never been. Um, and, and by all means, if you go to a one, of, if you go to a big camp and you don't like it and you have your reasons fair, um, some kids don't like training in a group more than three kids. <laughs> some kids would just do privates all the time. Some kids, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, you have kids that don't want to do a lesson with you, as you know, cause it's windy that day and they want to do their best. And I understand all those things, you know? Um, but you know, with the camps that I do with the punting stuff, the first three hours is just coaching. And especially now in the spring with what I'm preaching, right? So I'm preaching right now is a time to re- go back to basics, refine all your mechanics. It's hard, but I feel like I've, <clears throat> you kind of come up with a way at camps. I shouldn't evaluate you as a finished product at a February camp, right? I should evaluate you as to where you are. So I think the first two, three hours should be me watching you train. Essentially, we're going to punt straight. We're going to punt right. We're going to punt left. I want to see how you move with the ball. I want to see how your drop is. I want it. And I should be able to evaluate you based off where you are in this off season now, right? I shouldn't be expecting you to hit, be hitting your best punts in February. If right after camp, I'm tweeting guys right now, you should just be working on fundamentals. That's it's a, it's a tough road to navigate, but I think that it's when you do it properly, there's a way and there's a place for, you know what I mean? The, the, the bigger camps to fit in to an evaluation of a kid. And then he gets his ongoing training from a coach. And then the next time you see him, theoretically, if his, if his coach is, is doing the right stuff and they're attacking the right stuff. And then he also knows the structure of Saturday coaching Sunday field goals, kickoffs, and punts at a big camp. I should be able to handle the pressure of that better because I've gone to a camp before where I've done it. My coach has walked me through that and I know how to do that. And now my standard has moved up against the other kids in my group that maybe haven't adjusted, right? Or haven't kind of figured out how to handle the pressure of that. Cause it is pressure. You're sophomore in high school and someone says, Hey, you get eight field goals and eight kickoffs and eight punts against 250 other kids. That's stressful. But I think going to the camps and understanding the mindset behind it and learning how to handle different days and, and learning how to eat and learning how to sleep and all those things, it, it definitely is a place because at the end of the day, it, it's, it's part, it is part of your evaluation. It is part of your story. It is part of how someone might look at you, but I think it's helped a lot of kids. And there's a lot of success stories and there's a lot of kids um, that have come and been not known per se and they do well and the next day they're they're getting contacted from school and that helps and i think that has a place in our in our industry you know is it the whole thing absolutely not is it big i mean he's you know with with us chris has been doing it for 20 years and it's only getting bigger you know so um i think it's just important for kids to understand that there are real coaches there there are real there's real coaching there and there's real value in learning how to kind of handle your nerve at a big event because that's what college is going to be. Every practice, there's 200 people watching, right? Every, um, every day that you're the kicker at Miami, there's another kicker. There's 10 kickers that would love to come walk on because they think they can beat you, right? Some of whom you competed with at camps years prior. So I just, I, I think it's important for people to know that there are places out there where you can still get coached and evaluated properly. And it's not just a, Hey, come, come do this 10 times, leave. Thank you. You know, um, I think they're important and I, and I enjoy doing them. So I'm, I appreciate you asking that question. Of course. I just want to touch on one thing. I think that it's very important that you came into my life because uh, Chris and Jamie Cole, like we're all, I'm, I'm in between their ages here. I'm the weird one. I'm, you know, like I'm older than you, but I'm younger than them. I'm in the middle. And I was a bit of a disruptor uh, in, in certain ways because I do have kids that are elite. And I send them to only a few places, right? I'll send them to you guys because I see, like, as you said, if you want to go meet that standard, if you think you can meet the standard, if it, because I don't care about four and a half stars, I'll be honest. That's my mindset. It's my opinion. I'll say it. I think what holds weight is earn that fifth star. That carries weight because that's where coaches look first and say, we're going to do our own research. But like you said, it is part of the story. If a kid can go into a Chris Saylor or a punt factory event and win that day, that says something because he beat several kids 
that based on a lot of people's standards will play on Saturdays. So my point to this is I got a little distracted, if you will, or think my mind changed for a long time because I started hearing things from people in the industry that like we were kids were being dissuaded from going to see me and others like me who don't have the ability or, or focus, I should say, in the evaluation process. And I'm really glad to meet guys like you because I think that you're the best of both worlds. I agree with you. There is a place for these camps, but don't waste your money at the 80 I see on Twitter that give you a five-star, but what is it worth, right? Like that's a waste of money to me. Um, go to the standard of like camps. There's only a few that count. You know that I'm not going to name drop others, but I think there's only a handful, less than five that you need to go to for an evaluation. Other than that, go train, right? Train with someone, train by yourself, film yourself often, find people you trust who could, who could be a second set of eyes on you. Um, so I, I really thank you for our relationship because it really is opening doors back up for me to be able to say, Hey, you need to go. I'm not, I used to not encourage. I used to just say, yeah, sure. But now I'm a little more, yeah, go. I know you can maybe be first that day. And that that's very valuable. Right. So I want to make that very clear that I didn't think it was working both ways for a very long time with a lot of people in this industry that evaluated my guys. And I thought it was a bit unfair, Um, but I'm growing up, you know, and I'm realizing that I can react in a positive way, or I can react in a negative way. And for a long time, my words were very caustic. I was, I was, yeah, I was aggressive with it. I was thrown in people's faces. And I realized quickly that that was only exacerbating the situation. It wasn't making it better. It was making it worse. And the second I made a decision to be more positive and find guys like you, uh, bridges started building, right? And, and, I, and I have a peace of mind that makes me a better coach. It then makes my players better, who then go to your events and compete to win it hopefully. Um, so it helps everyone if everyone just kind of like does what they like, you know? No doubt. And I, Dan, I think it's important because in reality, I, I guess it's not all of it, but our kids we work with are our resume, right? So my resume is not what I did. I had a great career, but dude, for kids born in 2004, me going to college in 2004, they're kind of like, dude, you know, I guess it's cool coach that you were in an NCAA video game. But other than that, you know, it, it was a whole different world. So it's, it's a tough one because as a training facility, if, you know, I'm very similar to you 10 years ago, I would have been like, dude, I don't want you to do this, go to this camp, just go to, but you think about it, they're going to go regardless. <laughs> Kids are going to go wherever they want to go. Right. And sure. number two, if they go there and do well, it's a reflection of they're going to come home and be like, oh man, now, you know, this big game on social media, they tag their coach. I understand it. Um, of course it makes us all feel good, but it is a reflection of, Hey, they're coming home and they're training with you and they're working hard and they go to an event and they do well. That's, that's awesome. Because it's also a reflection of the work you're putting in on Saturdays and Sundays, um, with them when, when they're not, when no one else is, is, is looking. Um, so I'm with you on that brother. I think, uh, I wish, I guess my biggest wish would be that kids didn't have to feel so pressured and so pulled in so many directions. Um, I do think that is kind of a nature of the beast and not, there's no one in particular, but it's just, that's what everyone does. Right. But I, I wish if there was one thing I could change about it is that kids um, didn't feel so much pressure to go to this or do this or do this. Right. Because it is, it's gotta be hard. There are 2025 and someone say, oh, they're the best or this and that. And it's like, now that kid feels pressure, right? That kid feels like, oh, I got to go uphold a certain standard, man. I'm 15 years old. I, I can't even drive yet. <laughs> so I, it's, I, I try to be very picky with my words on social media. You know, Sailor's got a very big, you know, way he goes about things. It's always well-deserved. You earned it. Great job. Keep going. Work hard. Proud of you. It's never like, oh my best. Oh my, is the next Dan Lundy. No, you, can't he's 15 years old man you know he's also got a soccer game on saturday he's also got prom on on friday it's not fair these kids and then if they don't end up being great or they don't then what you look it's not you that's messed up you know you you so i think if there was one thing i could change about it i wish it would be that kids could kind of sample every and i a lot of kids do but i wish that they could um not feel as much 
pressure to have to attend all these things. Go to what you like, go where you feel appreciated and go to where people are honest with you, right? Go to where people are going to say, look, man, right now you are at this level and I'm putting you in a grouping instead of looking at it as forced. I mean, you have to have a certain way to categorize it, but if you, you're, but you are with this group of kids, this is the level you're at. So you remember seeing this kid, that this is where I think you are. There were kids that performed better than you that, that might have a higher potential or hit a bigger ball more consistently. And that's why they're in this group. Right. Um, but you know, the, 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 the kids navigating it nowadays is, is very hard. Um, I, I know we do a good job and I know that I believe in what we do. Um, but at the end of the day, as you said, it's, uh, it is, it is, um, it's tough to not get mixed up in the like, don't go here, don't do this, don't do this, because I might have your, my opinion, you might have your opinion, there might be people in the industry that you don't get along with. But at the end of the day, if a kid goes and does well, it is a reflection on how they're trained, you know, and so it's, it's a crazy game, man, but we're all a part of it and it, everything fits. And uh, I, I appreciate our relationship as well. And I appreciate kind of uh, our, our thoughts on this because it's, it's good to find like-minded people that have the same feelings about the state of what it is we do for a living, you know? Yeah. I, I love what you said. I, and I think the easiest way to do that for me, and it has been, is I, I see the way that coaches talk about their kids. Like you said, is it, is it the coach that says I'm a huge part of this success or is it a coach that says you did this son, you know, it's implied. Yeah. You're, it says coach so-and-so and you're posting about a kid. There's an implication that you coach him. We can, we can draw that connection, but who is it about? It's about the kid. It's about the kid. It should be about the kid. And I think that kids appreciate that. I posted it this morning. I was just like, they don't really care about like what you did. They care about like what you can show them they can be right. They, they want the focus should be entirely on them because if your focus is entirely on them, it's going to be very easy to identify the problem to fix when it's half on you and half on them. All they're going to do is get maybe incrementally better, but I like that you attack each player differently. I've talked to you at length about this off air. Um, I have one more question for you. Um, can you share a little bit more about the punt factory? I just want to know its trajectory, like where it's heading, you know? Yeah, I think to start the answer to that is, and I, I think it's important just based off the world we're in today too. We're also, I think the most importantly, right. We're also helping shape young men, right. We're helping to create and uh, being a small part of young men, young women, um, we need to create strong men. We need to create people that know how to handle adversity. We also need to create people that, uh, young men and women that learn how to be honest with yourself, right? About where you are in life with anything you do. So I would, uh, the pun factory is for me, um, and I spent the last you know year or two really kind of focusing on building my networking with with coaches. I went a couple of weeks ago to San Antonio to the coaches convention just to you know meet people and shake some hands and, um, you know, with the Australia program and everything, really, it's just been about kind of uh, becoming a young professional and learning how to take that side. I've always felt like, okay, if I can coach you at a pretty high level for punters, but also help connect you to a, a school that you're interested in, you know, now you have value. Um, I think the, the punt factory in general, it's, I'm going to continue to try to push it as exactly what it is. I want to be a training service that also offers the ability with someone that you trust and someone that you know has your best intentions um, to run a camp where you're going to be fairly evaluated. You're going to get very honest feedback. Um, and I'm going to evaluate you as a punter, not as a kid who hits six punts or eight punts in a row better than someone else. Because, you know, I, I don't, if you can hit a five, five, yes, that shows a lot of potential, but if you did it at a one, eight, get off. If you did it with three long steps, I need to be able to be honest with you as well and tell you that those things aren't going to fly if you want to go to the level that you're saying you want to go to. So for me, I think just continuing to build, you know, a, a professional um, brand, uh, you know, uh, to, to show that I can be trusted in my evaluation, um, but also just continuing to work with as many people as possible and just enjoying coaching. You know, for me, I've never looked at it as like, what's a strategic thing for the business? I've just always said, okay, how many guys can I reach? How many guys can I work with? And, and um, I think the biggest thing I want to do this next year as well is also just start to enjoy the fruits of the labor. I've only been to one, 
college game in the last five years. I watched Ryan Sanborn play this year against Vanderbilt. And I realize now that I, I'm not actually taking a step back to go and enjoy watching these young men that we spent so many hours with um, play. You know, it's a little harder being a dad now to step out on a Saturday all day and fly to Colorado. But um, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm also taking a step back to enjoy and appreciate the moment we're in where we can young enough to still connect with 13, 14 year old, 15 year old kids, but also Jake Bailey, right. Jimmy Gillen, um, Dan Whalen, Ryan, right. These guys that are now at the highest end of things, I should take a Sunday and go have a Gatorade and watch them play and enjoy, man, I was with that kid, Jake, when he was 14 years old and I have filmed from it and now he's a pro bowler. I want to go watch that. I want to go watch him do his work. I don't need to tweet about it. I mean, it will take a picture and it looks, but I, I want to just be, you know, and um, I think that's the trajectory. Continue to enjoy it, continue to, to push, to continue to be honest, continue to help shape, but also just work with as many guys as possible and, um, you know, build your network that way. So that's probably what's, what's coming in the next year. You know, if I had to, if I had to sum it up. I tell you what, you said a lot of impactful things, but that was really something that resonated with me is I don't really enjoy the moment. I'm always, if I do have the, if I'm present for a second, it quickly turns into what's next. I got a short and long-term plan going. I got some gaps to fill. I got to, Oh, I got some chores to do. I never am like, Hmm. I wonder if someone's on TV right now. I don't watch a lot of football. Surprisingly. I'll watch big games. You know, I'll watch my alma mater sometimes. Um, I'll watch my kickers if I remember to, but I think I'm so inundated with thoughts that really aren't that important in the end, are they? They're going to get done, but it's always like a race to get done with me. And I think that's the, that's the type a in us. And it's, I think as we get older and we, self-actualization the end says we you will eventually know what the heck you are <laughs> you know but i think that we're we're on the right in the right path and i want to leave with this like practice what we preach i think that you and i should make a promise to go see evan crenshaw on the same day <laughs> maybe th maybe three years from now but i i will give evan a little love that is a kid that i mean yes the if anyone's follows punting he's an all-american usa army he was uh, arguably the best guy in your organization. He's arguably the best guy that came through my area in a year or two. Um, but it's because of the entire package. He's just, he's amazing. He handles adversity very well. He knows how to stay even, as you mentioned earlier. All of these things, you didn't just say, it wasn't lip service, man. Like that is the end product. If you buy into every facet of the ways you see being successful, if you prioritize correctly and, uh, you stay balanced, right? Um, he is a, he's the epitome of what you discussed all day uh, today with us. So I just want to thank you, coach. I really, I really want to thank you for joining us. And again, I always ask uh, my audience, sorry, my guests, <laughs> if you could share uh, a few ways that the audience could get a hold of you, perhaps uh, social media and other ways. Yeah, man. Um, it's just, everything's at the punt factory. So Instagram, the punt factory, um, Twitter, the same thing. I have a YouTube channel. I haven't done as much lately, but I used to put a lot of good videos on there and training stuff. It's just the punt factory. And then the website is, is puntfactory.com. So, um, it sounds so weird to say, but yeah, it's just branding, right. Um, punt factory, everything. And, uh, I, I really appreciate you bringing me on man. And, and, um, kind of going down the path of how, our backgrounds and our history helped shape the coaches we are today. And um, I told you off air earlier or last time we spoke, like it's like the movie Slumdog Millionaire, right? Everything in life that we've experienced and gone through ourselves indirectly has made us into the person we are. So I hope that uh, the, the, the people watching us today can see that, you know, we're, we're, we're both two passionate guys about what we do and, and uh, you know, ultimately our interests are just in developing strong, you know, humble, hardworking young man. And, uh, that, that eventually go on and, and make us look good as we get older and keep doing what we do. <laughs> we just, we just have to enjoy it more, as you said, right. Yes, that's sir. the important thing. I say that's the biggest void and what we're not doing well for ourselves is you got to go appreciate the, and I think the kids would appreciate it too. If you just showed up, you know, maybe unannounced and made an appearance after the game and gave him a big hug, like, that's something I'm not doing. And if my kids mean a lot to me, like that's something I should consider doing. So 
So thanks again. Uh, it means a lot to everyone at Fourth Down Focus that Coach Aaron Perez was able to share information that can and will benefit performance both on and off the field. Please give us a five-star rating, a review, subscribe to the show, share it with a friend. If you have questions, suggestions for future topics or guests, or if you have feedback for the podcast, you can reach me, Dan Lundy, in several ways. My website is fourthdownu.com on social media. Instagram, Twitter, my handle is at fourthdownu. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find me by searching Dan Space Lundy, L-U-N-D-Y. Thanks again for joining us at Fourth Down Focus, presented by Bet Online. We'll see you next week with an exciting new guest. I hope 2022 is treating each of you well. And remember, in all things, give thanks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.